for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. If you're in a place today where you are, where you are hurting, where you are broken, where there are circumstances in your life that maybe you can't understand... You're tired of the repetition or spinning your wheels in the same place over and over again. And you're here today. You're in the best possible place that you could be. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've woken up, hung over, angry at God, no desire to know God if there, if there is a God, Uh, was where I was for so long. And to be in this place, uh, which is a very loving place, an open place, a place that is full of grace, is the best place that you're ever going to be or a place like this. For whatever reason, I guess it's because of a difficult morning, I felt the need to say that, that I feel completely redeemed, I feel completely restored, and I feel completely loved. And that is really the only thing at the end of the day that matters, and the fact that my life uh, flows through that reality, that I am deeply loved by God. If you're here for the first time, you're catching the tail end of a series. I recommend that you check out the podcast and, and go back and listen to the other messages. This is part four of a series that we've been in called When in Doubt. Uh, we've spent time offering close examination of the dangers, questions, and benefits, even the benefits of spiritual doubt. And for those of you that have been with us for the four-week journey, hopefully you've received some comfort, or hopefully you've received some answers, or hopefully you've received received some clarity about what it is that you are currently going through or situations that you grew up in in which doubt is, is just everywhere around this question of God or this question of Jesus. All right, we've tried to unpack a lot of that. So what we've done, we've, we, we've talked about circumstantial doubt last week. The week before that, we talked about emotional doubt. And today, we're going to consider what I would call intellectual doubt. All right, probably the most common. This is the kind of doubt that exists when we believe that there is a, a greater explanation than the existence of God or simply that an explanation of God isn't enough. And we live in a society, even if there are a lot of people in this room right now that don't represent that category, there are a lot of people in our, in our world today that are in this place exactly. People in this category uh, tend to fall under the, the clarification or the name of atheist or agnostic. That was certainly an identity that, that I felt that strongly that I identified with for, for a long period of time. And the view sometimes is that if science or reason can't explain God, then the whole system naturally should crash down. All right, so a few things to consider before 
today's message. Number one, I'm not going to use apologetics, which are often used in Christian circles today, to try to prove God to you. I just, I don't feel that I can do that in one message, all right? So I'm not actually trying to do that today. I'm not going to use all of these ways, uh, the empty tomb and, and a lot of the arguments that we use, all the witnesses to the resurrection, to try to prove God to you. That's, that's not the direction that I'm taking. I'm also not going to be able to answer all of your questions, and I will never be able to answer all your questions because guess what? No one could ever answer all mine. Literal resurrection, creation, Miracles, the Bible's timeline, where were the dinosaurs? That's a big one. All right, conflicts in Scripture, talking animals, and so on and so forth. All right, if you want to have co uh, coffee sometime, if you'd like to get together and have breakfast or lunch sometime, you're buying, of course. I'm joking, sort of. All right, I would love to get together with you and talk about some of these things, but I'm just not going to be able to cover um, all of those things, or really any of those things today. All right, um, I am a, a man of both uh, spirituality and faith. All right, I'm not an either or kind of person, and a lot of people believe that you have to be an either or person. I'm a man of reason and faith, and the way that I've grown in my relationship with Jesus has not been by having all of my questions answered. Instead, it's been through experiencing a God that perfectly corresponds to human need. All right, a God that perfectly corresponds to human need. So what this does is it takes faith and it places it in the category of existential need. There is a deep longing, a deep need, a void, if you will, within every person, and it's only God that can fulfill that or fill that particular void. All right, so that's what I'm actually going to focus on today. A few things that we can say for certain. And, and, and you're either going to find some peace with this or you're not. All right? First, no one on this planet is ever going to be able to answer all your questions. So I'm speaking to the cynic that's in the room right now. All right, no one is ever going to be able to answer all of your questions, and it's certainly not me. Number two, no one is ever going to be offer, able to offer the kind of physical proof that some of you desperately want. It's just not going to happen. All right? Today I want us to look at, at one of my favorite doubters, as, as strange as that statement may say, one of my favorite doubters, because I believe his story is telling in many ways, and this is a man by the name of Nicodemus. All right, so we're going to go to the Gospel of John. If you do have your Bible, John chapter 3, if you want to turn there. If you don't have a Bible today, that's perfectly fine. You can, you can look on the screen up here, and we will have the passage here. John chapter 3 in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, the fourth gospel, uh, fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. We could go further. We could actually dive deeper into a character analysis of Nicodemus, but unfortunately, we're not going to have that kind of time. But I do want to point out a few things that I think are very important for those of you that have a lot of questions and for those of you that uh, struggle with doubt in this way because I'm going to offer an alternative to having all of your questions answered in the way that you might prefer to have all of your questions answered. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. There was a Pharisee or a member of the religious elite named Nicodemus a Jewish leader. 
He came to Jesus at night, and this is very critical why he came to Jesus at night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you are doing unless God is with him. So he's at least giving Jesus that. It's very clear through what we see, even though it may not be completely confirmed in the Torah, uh, we see what you're doing and we know that you come from God. Jesus answered, I assured you. Jesus cuts right to, the, right to the chase. Jesus answers, I assured you, unless someone is born anew, or as some of your translations will say, born again, it is not possible to see God's kingdom. Interestingly enough, he doesn't say heaven. He says God's kingdom. Nicodemus asked, as we would, how is it possible for an adult to be born? It's impossible to enter the mother's womb for a second time and be born, isn't it? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, it is not possible to enter God's kingdom. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit or pneuma is pneuma or spirit, which also means wind. Don't be surprised that I said to you, once again, you must be born anew. God's spirit blows, and this is where he's really getting into the pneumatology or what pneuma means. God's spirit blows like the wind wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. He's kind of alluding here to the mystery of God. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, again, as you and I would say, how are these things possible? All right, this falls completely outside of the bounds of reason and what we understand as Jews, as Pharisees or Sadducees or whatever group you might come from. How are these things possible? Jesus answered, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you, at least at, at, least at this point in the life of Nicodemus, you do not accept our testimony. All right, so Nicodemus, you at least have to admit, if you're looking at this, even if you're a super spiritual person and you've been internalized in the church and you've never considered anything outside of the church your entire life, Nicodemus has some legitimate intellectual questions. All right, Nicodemus is actually approaching this. He's not purposely trying to be the cynic, right? He's not purposely trying to be a doubter. He's in, in fact, as he approaches Jesus, he's trying to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt because he's obviously amazed. But he has some questions. In verse 4 and 9, he says this, Nicodemus asked, how is it possible for an adult in the physical form that I am right now to be born again? How are these things in verse 9, how are these things possible? And as I've said, these are the kinds of questions that we would ask. These are the kinds of things that we would definitely, no doubt, consider. Because what Jesus is discussing falls outside, as much of Christian belief does, outside of the bounds of human logic. All right, also Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and this is really important, he comes to Jesus in the dark. You may wonder why in the world would he come to Jesus at night. He comes to Jesus at night because he's coming to Jesus in secrecy. 
He's coming to Jesus not wanting other people to know that he's actually coming to Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus is held back by his position in the Jewish priesthood and the hierarchy. And just like the rest of us, all right, at one time or another, maybe where some of you are right now, certainly some people that are listening online where they are right now, we are all at one point or another held back by something. All right, so maybe for some of you, it, it is signs, all right? There, there's, there's no way to, to marry uh, faith and science. Science says this. Faith says a completely different thing, all right? So, so I can't buy into this. For other people, it's uh, the presence of evil in the world. How many of you have asked, how in the world or why would a good God allow these things to happen? Sometimes you ask these questions globally, Sometimes you ask these questions looking at this uh, pandemic that's hitting us very hard nationally. Uh, sometimes you look at this place not only on a local level, but on an individual level. When you say, I've been divorced four times, I've struggled with addiction now for 19 years, and I can't seem to, to, to get well, to get better, even though I'm trying. I can't seem to, to land that dream job. I can't find the right person to marry. All of a sudden, I heard that my, my, my child or my parent or whoever it might be was diagnosed with this illness. So these are the questions that we ask. Why in the world would a good God allow, these, uh, to allow this to happen? Maybe it's fear of losing friends or your social circle. Maybe it's fear of being wrong. Like that's, A lot of people are afraid to take that leap. A lot of people are afraid to take that step because they feel as if they don't have enough evidence. And if they don't have enough evidence, then there's obviously a possibility that they could be uh, wrong. And what's, what's funny about Jesus is that he is not one to directly answer questions. All right? Instead of Jesus, somewhat borrowing from Socrates or the Socratic method, when someone asks him questions, he is often following that up with further questions. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're this far into the law, you're a teacher of the law, and you don't know these things? Instead of directly answering the questions that Nicodemus has. The problem that Nicodemus has is the problem that so many of us has. It's that he wants the answers before he practices the faith. All right? And how many of us have been in that position? I know all through my 20s. And my late teens, it's like, if you'll just give me a little bit of proof, if you'll show me some things, and I've prayed those prayers that you guys have prayed many times, like, if, if tomorrow, if, if, if you're real, you know, the, the, the sun is going gonna, it, gonna to turn to rain instead of, instead of a nice day, or this person's going to call me or text me and confirm something, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen, and we have all these questions, and then it just never does happen happen. Because you see, Jesus works in the opposite way. You practice the faith, you step out, and then the unbelievable starts to occur. And then everything starts to unfold in your life, and you can look back on a certain story. Now I understand why I went through that. Now that makes sense. But had I never made the decision because of this existential need that I have within me that is not unique to you, that is a part of our story that is wrapped up in your DNA, a need for God, a longing for something that is greater than you. And what you're doing, you're just puzzled because you think all of these other things have explained God. 
And what we often see in, in science is that we get the uh, how, but we never get the why. We never get the deeper purpose behind what life actually means. Because it's only found in Yahweh. It's found in the God of Israel. It's found in a relationship with Jesus. And Nicodemus is trying very, very hard uh, to figure this out. So like the analogy uh, Jesus uses of wind and spirit, he also does this of the new birth, of this great mystery that we can't understand that actually falls outside of the category of logic and reason. All right, so you can, you can try your best to figure it out. You can search and seek all the physical proof, but if that is a search for God in that way, then you are going to live and you are going to die a very unfulfilled person because you're never going to find it in those ways. There was a time in my life, and, and I have a, a friend, I won't point him out, that's, that's visiting with us today, but, but knows me and has known me my entire life, when I doubted for years. And I had every single question. I believe right now, if you have a question in your mind, like, like why would God do this? Or if God exists, why does this occur? Or, or why can't the Bible explain this? Or what about these issues of conflict that I feel that I see in Scripture? All these kinds of questions. I will guarantee you, if you've asked one of those questions, I have asked the same question and then some. That's just the way that my mind works. I'm constantly trying to figure things out. And I used to tell people, John Stuart Mill, the philosopher, said, I'd rather be an unhappy man than a happy pig. And what he meant by that is he'd rather be an unhappy man searching for all the questions throughout life instead of the pig that's rolling around in the mud with ignorance being bliss. Hopefully that makes sense. Because that's where I was for a long time. All right, but then one day, and I, I can't explain this. Like I, I can't give you a good answer except that it was the prevenient grace that John Wesley talks about creeping into my life, urging me in a different direction but one day, let me, let me tell you the story about Billy Graham first. You're, some of you are definitely familiar with this story. But Billy Graham, whenever he was a very young man, he was already an evangelist, but he was really struggling with, with some things that the Bible said. And he really couldn't make sense of it. Yes, Billy Graham, so you're in good company, okay? So he's really struggling with this. And what he does as a young man is he goes out in the woods and he takes his Bible. And I don't know how much... How much dramatic effect has been added to this, but, but he takes it and he puts it on a tree stump and the moonlight is, is shining down and he sits down as this young man and he says, God, I have a lot of questions about this book. There are a lot of things that I don't understand, but in faith, what I am going to do is I am going to make the decision in this very moment, even though I don't understand it, in this very moment, I am going to make the decision to believe and trust in this book for the rest of my life. And I think we know that the, that the rest of the story with Billy Graham is history. All right, I had a similar, and I'm no Billy Graham. I had a similar experience, but it was a, it was a point in my life where I knew, it just hit me, the questions that I have are never going to be answered the way that I would like for them to be answered but there is something satisfying here. There is something more here. 
There is something that is speaking into my spirit that I cannot deny, that I cannot look past. So I made a similar decision, and even though sometimes I still have questions, the majority of the things that really kept me locked up for many years, I have completely let go of. And there's this quote that I love. If you're a thinker, you're going to love this. And if you, if you love C.S. Lewis, you're going to love this even more. But this is really something that was profound in my spiritual development. This is what, what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. All right, Christianity, if it's false, if it's not true, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be at any time is moderately important. So what does that mean? All right, if it's not true, as many, many people believe, if it's not true, then people like me and people like you, we're really wasting a lot of time. And we're wasting our lives. But if it's true, it means everything. And there is nothing else. The dreams that you have for your life, the things that you are pursuing outside of a relationship with God mean absolutely nothing in the end. And the only thing that this belief system, that this faith can't be, and unfortunately this is where most people put it, is kind of important. Is a little bit important. Important enough for me to listen to a podcast every once in a while. Important enough for me to, a, to attend a service on Sunday mornings. Important enough for me to have prayed a prayer a long time ago and hope that prayer gets me somewhere good at the end of the day. It's somewhat important, but it's certainly not everything. Now, in the case of Nicodemus, also notice that Jesus reveals, and this is so important, this is everything, Jesus reveals that the answers are not to be found in the intellect, and the intellect is critical. We're never going to denounce the, the intellect. But the answers are actually found in the longing of the soul, and there is only one way to quench the longing of the soul, verses 6 and 7 say this. Look at this dichotomy. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. It's something separate. But whatever is born of the spirit or pneuma is life-giving, is spirit. You must be born anew. These revelations that we're talking about, what su surpasses logic and our understanding is transformation, is a new experience is not reading some good books and learning some good things, but being changed from the inside out. From understanding, if you're in a marriage, I have an obligation, a spiritual, moral obligation to treat my spouse better. If I act a certain way at work, gossiping, uh, talking about other people, moving people away from a relationship with God. Something inside of me is changed so that I have a moral responsibility and an understanding to be different. The things that I used to desire, the things that I cared about, 
The things that meant so much to me are, are progressively and gradually changing over time as the Spirit grows deeper and deeper and deeper within me. Please get this right here, because this is, this is everything right here. It's not as much proof that we need as it is, as it is surrender to the longing of our souls. All right, I'm going to say that again. It's not as much proof that we need as it is surrender to the longing of our souls. Listen, let's suppose that you have an itch. You don't need to scratch the itch as much as you need medicine for the itch. You don't need to scratch this itch as much as you need medicine for the itch. Scratching the itch is need for proof, and it spreads, and it spreads, and it spreads. The medicine for the itch is surrender to the work of the Spirit. I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. But there is something deep within my soul that is telling me to journey further. There is something within me that is telling me to keep going. There is something within me that despises who I am apart from this new thing. This is where the answers are. This statement, born again or born anew, literally means born from above. Flesh is flesh. Spirit is spirit. Two completely different thing and things. And the problem is that so many people are trying to get this new thing by working it out of the flesh, out of the same system. Nicodemus is saying, for example, the promise of salvation is found in being from the lineage of Abraham. What we talked about last week, Abraham, it's found from being in the covenant of Israel. And Jesus is pointing out his error and says, no, you've got to be born twice. And if I'm being completely honest, considering where I have been and considering where some people are today, definitely some people listening online, probably some people in this room right now, that idea of surrender, that idea of letting go, that idea of being born again, new creation, what if my questions aren't answered? If, if we're to be real honest, it's just too scary. It's just too scary. For a lot of people, they're on the edge of this. Okay, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something that's, that, that's real about this. Maybe my life could be completely different. Maybe scenarios in my life could change. But to take that step, to take that plunge, to completely let go to take all of my questions, all of the cynicism, all of the issues that I have with Christians in the world today and place them on the altar and leave them there. That's just too much. And my belief is that over the centuries and over time, this is where many, many people have stopped. And you must, I plead with you, you must find a way to let go. It was the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard 
that gave us this idea. We think this comes from the Bible, but gave us this idea. He introduced this concept that we would call a leap of faith. All right, a leap of faith, and that is what is required. This is what a leap of faith is and what he's talking about. It's the act of believing or committing to something that feels as if it's outside of the bounds of reason. All right, the belief or committing to something that feels like it falls outside of all of the questions that you desperately desire to have answered. Uh, this comes from looking deeply inward instead of viewing every possible circumstance in your life that brings about doubt. Allowing God, allowing Yahweh to stream into the deepest parts of your life where all of the ugliness is, where all of that childhood junk is hidden and buried deeply, where your desire to compete, your desire to look good, your desire to accomplish, your desire to be right, your desire to escape loneliness, your desire to be happy, is all sacrificed for something completely, completely new. And at this stage of his life, Nicodemus simply wasn't ready for that because the truth is, and again, this is the way I feel, some people are just looking for a reason to doubt. They are looking for a reason to question this particular faith, this particular belief system, so that they can avoid what we would call this leap. All right, so the question that I have for you guys today and what I really want you to think about, because maybe you were raised in church, maybe you've been around a religion the majority of your life, maybe you, this is new to you, I have no idea. But this is the question I'm asking. What if we made the decision to live deeply inward? All right, what if we made the decision to live deeply inward. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm asking you to sign a clipboard and, and, and join a church. That doesn't mean I'm asking, telling you that you need to try to study the Bible two days a week or you need to try to be a better person or you need to try to, at this point, at this stage right now, completely give up your addiction or completely get out of that toxic relationship. But what if it just started? What if it just started with a decision to live deeply inward and to journey into this mess and recognize, as most of you have at one stage or another in your life, that there are deeper needs that more importantly can and will be met. On one side, people accept things because they've, they've never been challenged. You have people in church and they say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in God. Why? It's because the way you were raised. All right, you, you, have, you have inherited a belief system. You've never really stepped out, out into it and really journeyed it yourself, but because you grew up in the Bible Belt and you were born in the late 20th century or maybe early 21st century and all of these social and cultural norms, you, you've developed a, something of a folk religion in which all of this stuff is common and you've never doubted it just because it's what you know. All right, now on the other side, people are constantly looking for external reasons to doubt. All right, so how do we live deeply inward? I want to give you some really, really simple stuff, and this, this is for believers as well. All right, how do we live 
deeply inward. The, the first thing that you need to recognize this, is this, and, and, and God loves this. All right, God absolutely loves this. For starters, we open the conversation. All right, we open the conversation, and this is what this looks like. I've had people in this church, and, and people that don't go to church, and people that have a lot of questions about God say to me, I, I don't know how to believe, I don't know how to pray, I, I, I don't know what is out there, I don't know what I'm supposed to leave behind, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. So opening the, opening the conversation is just a very simple, very honest way that you begin a dialogue with God. All right, so whenever we open the conversation, this is what this looks like. And this is what, looked at, what it looked like for me in my mid-20s after I was a Christian but had walked away for many years. I started to feel this urge within. All right, I started to feel this need within, this desire to, to for, for lack of a better phrase, come back into fellowship with God. All right, But I knew that I had a lot of issues going on in my life. I was not making good decisions. I was drinking very heavy. I was using drugs. I was doing a lot of things that, that would have not fallen into your traditional Christian view. All right, But this is the way I started. This is the way I opened the conversation. Very simple, very honest, very childlike. God, if you are there, and you really love me like other people say you do, In one way or another, will you speak to me? Will you give me something? Will you just help me? I don't know what to do. I have very little understanding of this book. But I believe that there's something here. I believe that there is more to life than just this stuff. And I feel like I can't talk to you because some people go to church have told me I can't because I'm too bad. But I just really need that. I'm going to make you a promise. If you go to God in humility, with a childlike understanding in that way, a wall, not the big wall necessarily, but a wall is going to come down. It is going to come down and it is going to open you up to a world that you've possibly never experienced. For one thing, you're, you're, you're going to feel good inside and you're going to feel inside because you helped make that wall come down simply with your willingness to go to God in your time of need. Now, you know what the next thing is that we do, that we have to do? This is really hard for some of you. We have to admit that we may not know everything. You see, we have all these preconceptions. We have all these, well, I don't want to be like those, uh, those Christians, or I don't want to be like those church people. There's this history of this, and there's this history of that. No, you've got to accept that maybe, just maybe, and I'm not saying they know everything because they don't either, but maybe you need to come to the humble reality that you don't know and you don't understand everything. You're one person with one particular social experience in this world. And religion may have damaged that. But you need to come openly and honestly. And then third, and this is a slow process. This is not an overnight thing. We allow our longings to be found in God.
I have done some things that I'm not proud of and some things career-wise that I'm very proud of. But nothing has ever satisfied me but Jesus. Nothing. As much as I love my family and the satisfaction that I get from being a husband and being a dad, as passionate as I am about ministry and, and, and teaching at a college and all of these other things, at the end of the day, they simply don't fill my cup. The mistakes that I've made, the regrets that I have, that the enemy still brings back every once in a while, they certainly don't fill my cup. But when you learn three words, Jesus is enough, everything changes. And those questions that you had and the digging that you did and the smart people that you've talked to and the Google searches that you've exhausted yourself with and all of that stuff crumbles down. And the only thing that you have left is the only thing that you need. And it is the sweet, loving spirit of Jesus that calls you home every single time. Are you willing to live and look deeply inward? With all heads bowed uh, this morning and all eyes closed, you may be in a place where uh, maybe it's not even the, the intellectual doubt. I know for, for a lot of us it is, and we go through these experiences, but maybe it's not fully the intellectual doubt, but maybe it's just a, a place of struggle right now. You can't seem to get over that hill, whatever that hill looks like. And of course, what we do instead of blaming the enemy is we question God. It's what we do every single time. And you're hurting, and you're broken. And you have a really, really hard time, maybe, even admitting that. But if that's you in here this morning, uh, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, would you simply raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. No one is, thank you, sir, in the back. Thank you, in the back. Anyone else this morning, you're struggling. Be on. Nobody is looking around right now. Now, maybe you're in here today, and you know that this relationship with God is not real. It's never something that you have personally owned. And it wouldn't be right to end a series on doubt without giving you an opportunity uh, to respond. All right, so if there is anybody in here that has never accepted Christ or never genuinely made that decision to follow Jesus in an authentic way, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer this morning. And the only thing that you need to do is repeat this prayer after me. But more important than the words that you would be praying is the faith you have in your heart and the desire to turn from where you are. You can repeat after me if God is speaking to you. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I fall short. 
I'm asking that you forgive me of my sins. I am placing my trust in you. And from this day forward, it is my desire to follow you. Again, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you simply lift your hands so that we can acknowledge that that decision has been made today? Anyone in here pray that prayer this morning? I see your hand, son, in the back. Anyone else this morning, you prayed that prayer? Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much for continuing to provide. God, it's good to have questions. Father, it's good to, to think. It's good to understand the physical makeup, God, of the world that we live in. Father, I pray that you take our hearts to a place in which we recognize, God, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our fear, that we are constantly surrounded by you. Father, may that not just be an emotion, but a fact. God, forgive us where we failed you. And help us, Father, as we, as we sing this last song, to lift you up in the worship that you deserve. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray these things. Amen.